Good morning, Bethesda. Just when you thought you were through with me, here I am again. I'm going to read an extraordinarily lengthy amount of Scripture, and I'm going to ask that if you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. Let's say that all together. And you shall call him Jesus. I'm waiting for the next slide. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the, war, of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. 
the breeding of God's word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the most excellent and exalted name of Jesus. We ask you, my Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would hover over our lives today, that you would impart something of your kingdom into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives today. We ask you, Spirit of the living God, do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. For it is in your excellent name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you look at this event, I can break it down into three distinct movements. The first movement is the call. Now, while we are all completely aware that only one woman, Mary, is ever going to physically birth the Messiah, Jesus, I believe that we as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus, I believe that we are called upon, not, require, not requested, but required to be recipients of something from God's kingdom to ignite and to take root in our own lives. And I think when we look at this pericope or this section of scripture, I believe that we can find a paradigm for how we can receive and respond to the call of God on our lives. The first section, I'm calling it the call, verses 24 through 38. The first thing that we are made aware of is that in the sixth month, in the sixth month of what? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gabriel. Gabriel is mentioned by name three times in Scripture. He's mentioned in the book of Daniel. He's mentioned in the book of Zechariah. And he's now mentioned here in the book of Luke. Any time that you find Gabriel being mentioned in Scripture, put yourself on red alert because something's about to happen. Gabriel comes, and whether it's Daniel or Zechariah or Mary, he brings a word of transition. Times are changing. Something amazing is about to happen. God is about to do something, fulfill a promise. And so just by the very fact that it's Gabriel who shows up tells us that something of extreme proportions is about to happen. We're told that Mary is a virgin that she's betrothed to a descendant of David. Something that we know about not just ancient Hebrew customs regarding marriage, but even now among more extreme Jews and Hasidic sects, you'll find that every marriage has three phases. The first phase is called the holy phase, and it consists of the betrothal, or what we would call the engagement. During the betrothal, you have all of the responsibilities of being married without any of the pleasures of being married. This is called the holy phase because of that reason. So Mary and Joseph are betrothed to each other. They are legally married to each other, but the marriage has not yet been consummated because it's in the holy phase. The second phase is called the honeymoon. It's the first year after the engagement is over and the actual marriage has been consummated. So for one year, it's the honeymoon. The third phase is called the marriage because it's expected that typically after the first year of marriage, there will be a baby and then life gets real. So you have the holy phase, 
You have the, the honeymoon, and then you have the actual marriage itself. Mary and Joseph are in that holy phase. We know that Mary is from Nazareth. The word Nazareth means stump or shoot. Nazareth is a very small, insignificant town. Don't you find it amazing that God does some of his most amazing works in some of the most insignificant people, in some of the most insignificant places? I'm glad that God chooses those that other people might vote no on. I'm glad that God looks not on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart I'm glad that God doesn't look for the smartest and the strongest and the most talented, that he looks for the one most willing, that he's still calling people from Nazareth. Hallelujah. According to the Greek Orthodox tradition, Mary wasn't just anywhere when she met up with Gabriel. She was at a well. And if she's at a well, then she joins a distinguished list of women who meet their destiny and have divine encounters with God at a well. It starts with Hagar. It's at a well that God reveals himself to her as the God who sees her. It's at a well that Rebecca is going to water the camels and be taken to meet Isaac, her husband. It's at a well that Zipporah meets Moses. And it's at Zipporah that a Samaritan woman is going to have an encounter with the Son of the Most High God. And if the Greek Orthodox tradition is correct, it is at a well that Mary meets up with Gabriel and receives a call from the Lord. The words of Gabriel, his name means God is my strength. He meets up with her and the first thing he says to her is rejoice, highly favored one. She is one of three people in Scripture that's called the favorite of the Lord. There's Noah, there's Moses, and there's Mary. When God comes to you and declares you to be favored, expect your world to be rocked, shaken, and extremely shifted. She is favored by God, but that favor will cost her everything. Moses is favored by God, but it will cost him everything. Noah is favored by God, and it will cost him everything. So whether you're Moses, Noah, or Mary, when you find favor with God, it will shake you out of the ordinary. It will shake you from complacency. It will shake you from that place of mediocrity, and it will usher you to a new level and to a new degree of walking with the Lord that is beyond anything that you could have ever imagined. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Because what God is about to call her to do, she cannot do on her own. Do you know that God calls you to do what you can't do? I, sometimes I find myself wishing, God, just call me to do what I can do. It's not much, but at least I'm comfortable there. God does not call us to do what we can do. He calls us to do what only he can do as we allow him and permit him to work in and through our lives. God will be with you. This is the promise of presence. All throughout Scripture, anytime God calls a man or a woman, that call is accompanied by a promise of his presence. God has not called you to do it by yourself. God has not called you to do it within your own strength and within your own ability. God has not called you to do it out of your reservoir of talents and abilities. He's called you to do it with his spirit covering you. He's called you to do it with the assistance and the direction and the aid of divine presence. I will be with you. The Lord is with you. The promise of presence. He tells her to rejoice again. This promise of presence comes to those who are about to be called upon by God 
to do that which they have no ability to do. It's going to force them. It will force us to do that which we have no ability to do, requiring that we rest and trust in his presence to empower and to enable us. Well, here's the response of Mary. She's perplexed. If I received a call like that, I'd be a little perplexed too. This is not a word of anxiety nor a word of fear. It means that there is a rush of thoughts, a movement of thoughts, an inward commotion. She's wondering, what does this mean? What, what will this require of me? And she reasoned. That means she thought through, she rationally thought through the implications of what Gabriel was saying to her. But before she could verbally respond, Gabriel told her, fear not. And for the second time, he says, you have found favor with God. And then here's the invitation. Here's what's going to happen to you, Mary. Something of God is going to take hold inside of you. You're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit in your womb, and you're going to produce a son. Not just any son. You're going to produce the Son of God, and you will call him Jesus. And that name means God is my salvation. You will call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High God. He's going to inherit the throne of his father David. I cannot resist this temptation, so let me go down a little buddy trail with you. There were five major thrones that exerted themselves over Israel, and it held her captive in her lifetime. The first was the throne of Egypt. The second was the throne of Assyria. The third was the throne of Babylon. The fourth was the throne of Persia. And finally, the throne of Rome. Each of these thrones tried to force Israel to become something other than what God had destined her to be. Each time, certain people would submit and yield to those worldly thrones, throwing away their call and forsaking their inheritance in God to become politically correct and to live a prosperous life according to the standards of this world. But every time, God always had a remnant. Every time, God always had a group of men and women who would not bow their knees to the thrones of this world, who would not throw away their inheritance for the thrones of this world. But then comes Jesus. His throne overtakes and trumps every other throne in this world. Can I tell you, we serve a God and we bow before a throne that's not of this world. This world cannot control it. This world cannot dictate its standards nor its laws. And when we have said yes to this throne, the world cannot dictate to us either. For too long, we have bowed our knees to the systems of this world. And it's time that once again, this Christmas season, we remember that there is a throne that trumps all other thrones. There is a throne that is eternal. There is a throne that is neither Republican nor Democratic. There is a throne that's neither black nor white, male nor female, Baptist or Pentecostal. There is a throne that is above every other throne, and the king who sits on that throne is Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. He will inherit the throne of David. He will rule over Jacob and of his kingdom. Not like the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians or the Romans. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary asked a question. 
How can this be? She says, I am a virgin. We might say, how can this be? I don't have the education required. I don't have the skill set. I, I don't know what to do. How can this be? I do not have it within me to complete the task that you've set before me. God gave her the same response he gives to us. The Holy Spirit will cover you. That is the only way that we are ever going to accomplish anything of worth is to allow the Holy Spirit to cover us, to fill, and to work through our lives. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and what is conceived will be called the Son of God. That's the call. And Mary's response to the call is, yes, be it unto me. Your bondservant, your handmaiden, be it unto me according to your word, Lord. Mary didn't make this up. Mary didn't go off on some wild goose chase trying to fabricate elaborate ideas and schemes for how she might elevate herself and become important. No, the Lord came to her. The call initiation is always with God. You do not go to God and tell him what you want to do. You wait before him and let him tell you what he's called you to do and what he's going to anoint you to do. Be it unto me according to your word. Her yes is going to cost her everything. Have you ever noticed that her mom and her dad are never mentioned in the pages of Scripture? There's not even any real historical tradition surrounding her mom and her dad. This is Marty thinking, but I think her mom and her dad could not understand what was happening to her. But here's the grace of Jesus. No one dehumanizes them. No one berates them. They're simply left out. Sometimes God will call us to do things, and the people closest to us will not understand that is not our cue to be mean and cruel with our words, to beat them up because they don't understand. That is our cue to bless the Lord and to realize because God has said it, no other approval is needed. Some of you have waited for too long. You want permission to do what God has called you to do. You want someone to come and give you step one, step two, step three. Some of you need to get up and just do it. I am so grateful that we are a part of a, a fellowship where the pastoral authority has their heart open to the Spirit of the Lord. I know of no pastor on this staff that when someone comes to them and says, God has called me, and they shut them down. I have never seen that happen. If it's in the book, they'll say yes and walk alongside of you. But here's the catch. It's your call. So it's your responsibility to take the steps to get there. Do not expect someone else to fulfill your vision and your call. Baby, that's on you. Oh, you guys got really serious on me in that moment. So Mary says, yes, Lord. I'm going to come back to that yes in a moment. The second step after the call is the confirmation. Mary goes up to the hill country of Judea. She's told that Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, that she who was called barren and was told that she could have no children is now six months pregnant. And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, it can be impossible with man, but nothing 
is impossible with God. Three times in Scripture do you find that phrase. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, the angel of the Lord shows up and tells Sarah that she's going to be pregnant. She's 90 years old and Abraham's 99. It says that the way of woman has left her. Her womb is no longer alive and capable of housing a child. And yet the angel of the Lord shows up and says, it's impossible with you, but nothing is impossible with God. It shows up again in the book of Jeremiah when God says he's going to completely decimate Judah, then rebuild it and bring her back. He's going to do that. He's going to bring life where death now is. And now you find it here in the book of Luke where the angel says, this is impossible with man, but nothing is impossible with God. Can I remind you this morning that you serve a God who specializes in the impossible? You serve a God who can do what no man can do because he is no man. You serve a God that if he says he'll do it, he will do it. You serve a God whose fulfillment of your promises are not dependent on you and your abilities, but on him and his great faithfulness. Mary said, yes, Lord. And that's all he was looking for. He was looking for her yes. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the seeds and the sowers. You guys know it. There's nothing wrong with a sower and there's nothing wrong with the seed. The only thing that changes is the ground. And that ground is the human heart. There was seed that was basically concrete. The seed of God's word would come to that and bounce off and the birds would quickly come and snatch it away. There was thorny ground, and that thorny ground reminds us that sometimes the cares of this world can choke out the promise and the call of God in our life. Then there's the thorny ground. The thorny ground, the ground, I'm sorry, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, seed that hits the rocky ground springs up quickly, but because there's no soil, there's no depth, and there's no reality to it, the seed sprouts up, quickly and dies just as quickly. You know these people. The ground that's hard and the seed just bounces off of it. These are the people that have heard word after word after word, sermon after sermon after sermon, and they walk away and they say, I don't know what's in it for me. And then there's the rocky ground. Those individuals that will rush down to an altar or go to a youth camp or an adult camp or conference and they'll get all excited and all whipped up emotionally. God has called me and I'm going to do everything he's asked me to do. And two weeks later, they're right back where they started from. Has nothing to do with the word. Has nothing to do with the sower. Has everything to do with the soil. You know the thorny hearts too. Those are the hearts that receive the word, but then the cares of this world, I want to get married. I want to get a job that buys me all the things that I want. I want everyone to love me. I want to be accepted and approved of by everyone around me. And the cares of this world begin to choke out the word of God. And finally, there's the good soil. This is the soil that receives the word of God. And the word of God is able to grow and take root and produce Mary's heart is good soil. And I tell you this morning, that's what God's looking for in you. He's looking for good soil. He wants to call you. He wants to commission you. He has things for you to do. 
whether it's things that you do within your own family, whether it's things that you do in the workplace where you are now, or whether it's a specific call to a ministry. He has called you. And ministry is so much more than what goes on in the four walls of the church. Ministry is what we do and ultimately who we are in every place that we go, including Walmart. So here's the confirmation. She goes up to higher ground. When you receive a divine deposit in your life, you have to move to higher ground. This means that the bar is going to get raised. The prayer, the praise, the devotional life, everything has to get kicked into high gear. See, sometimes what we want to do, we want to receive the word of the Lord, and we want to stay right where we are. We want, oh, yes, God's called me. Yes, I'm the call to the, oh, I received a prophetic word 25 years ago that God had called me to do this and that, and it just hasn't come to fruition yet. You've stayed where you were. You've got to move up to higher ground. This is not necessarily a geographical move as much as it is a move in your heart to say, I can't be who I used to be. I can't do the things the way I used to do it. I've got to increase the time that I spend in the Word. I must become a man or a woman consecrated and abandoned to the Lord Jesus Christ. I must become a worshiper. I must become a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. You've got to move up to higher ground. The next thing that she did in finding Elizabeth, she found someone more pregnant than herself. Sometimes we try to carry to full term what God has deposited within us, and we keep the same group around us. We've got to find people that are farther along in what God has called you to than you are because they can speak into your life. That's what we do at Bethesda School of Ministry. We come alongside of our students and we stir up what God's placed within them and we speak to it and we call it forth in Jesus' name and we let them see what it's going to look like in the days ahead and to the best of our ability, prepare them for what God has for them. You've got to seek higher ground, and you've got to find someone that's a little bit farther along than you are. Elizabeth confirmed what God had done in Mary's life and even confirmed that that which she carried was of divine origin. Mary broke into prophetic praise, declaring and agreeing with what the Lord had said and done. And she stayed with Elizabeth for 12 weeks. This is significant because she stayed with Elizabeth until there was physical indication of the hidden work of the Lord. And then she went back. But it wasn't the same Mary that went back. It was a different Mary. God wants to pull you into his presence. He wants to set you aside for a season to take what has been planted into your life and allow it to grow into the fullness of what he has put into your life. Because you may be put right back into the same family. You may be put right back into the same job. But know this, the job may be the same, the family may be the same, but you will be different. And that's what it's all about. Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. Thank you. Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit said, It is a dangerous thing to receive an invitation. For once you've received an invitation, whether you accept it or decline it, nothing can ever be the same again. Mary said yes to Jesus. 
And because she said yes to him, nothing in her life could ever be the same again. And that's a good thing. But if she had said no to the Lord, nothing would ever be the same again either. Because to say no to him is to live your life full of regret, full of wondering what if and how might have God done this or that. I was a student at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the 80s. I'm in my early 20s. I'm sitting at a table in the cafeteria, and I've got a stack of Hebrew text on one side and Old Testament text on the other side because I won't even eat lunch without using it as a time and an opportunity to study because I am serious. I am intense, and I was intensely serious about doing my work in seminary, getting everything I possibly could. But I couldn't help but overhear a conversation of two guys in the table next to me. They were in their late 50s, early 60s, and they were arguing. And here's what their argument went like, well, I resisted the call of God for 28 years before I finally said yes. And the other guy said, well, I can do you one better than that, son. I resisted 40 before I said yes. And they're going back and forth, acting like resisting God was something to be proud of. Well, my meek, mild, gentle self, I couldn't take it. So I invited myself to sit at their table and promptly told both of them that they should be on their face repenting before the Lord, that they had wasted so much time before they said yes to the Son of God. On Tuesday, I had lunch with a dear, sweet friend. She's 71 years old. And she sits across the table from me and with tears in her eyes begins to express to me how she knows that God has called her for more than what she's presently experiencing. She serves the Lord. She loves the Lord. But when she was in her early 20s, she made some decisions that kept her from being completely abandoned to the call of God. And she said these words to me. I'm 71. All I can do now is regret that I didn't serve the Lord because it's too late for me. I shared this with Pastor Dan. I said, I don't know what came over me. It's like a fire-breathing dragon got up inside of me. And I don't think I leaped across the table, but it felt like I leapt across the table and I got right in her face. And I said, it is better to serve God with one last breath than it is to use that last breath to voice regrets and laments of what you didn't do. So here's the message about Mary this morning. The thing about Mary that stands out to me above all else is the fact that she said yes. She was only somewhere between 13 and 15 years old when she said yes. So I look over here to the young people where the youth are, and I say to you, God is not calling you future. God's calling you now. Stop with the attitude of it's my life and I need to have some fun. There is no greater fun than saying yes to Jesus and going on this wild adventure with him. He'll take you to wonderful places. I look scattered across this congregation at men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and on up. It's time for you to say yes to the call of God on your life. 
I look at those of you who are in the prime of your life. It is time for you to say yes to the call of God on your life. Mary said yes. She said yes until eternity invaded time and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. She said yes until Elizabeth proclaimed her to be blessed among women. She said yes until John the Baptist leaped within his mother's womb. She said yes until Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She said yes until her own lips were loosed with prophetic praise and declaration. She said yes until Joseph had dreams and took her to be his wife but did not know her sexually until after she had birthed the Lord Jesus. She said yes until the host of heaven broke forth into declaration to a group of shepherds. She said yes until the shepherds left their sheep and went to see this newborn king. She said yes until wise men left the east and went looking for the Son of God, the one who would be born King of kings and Lord of lords. She said yes until they gave up their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. She said yes until Herod was eat up with hate and fear and insecurity and decreed that all children under two years old should be destroyed. She said yes until Anna and Simeon prophesied and broke forth into declaration that this son was the redemption of Israel. She said yes until priests marveled at his teachings and at his wisdom. She said yes when he was crucified on a cross for my sin and yours. She said yes until the tomb was empty. And she said yes and she, she was filled with the Holy Spirit herself on the day of Pentecost. She said yes. And your yes will take you to places, take you to heights, and take you in directions that you would never have thought possible. So here's my invitation to you this morning. Bryn, if you'll come forward. Here's my invitation to you this morning. Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you fill this altar this morning? And say, Jesus, I say yes to you. So would you stand with me? Father, we say yes to you. We ask you to come. We ask you to deposit something of heaven in our lives today. If you've never said yes to salvation, this is your morning. This is your day to say, yes, Jesus, be the ruler of my heart today. If you've known Jesus as your Savior, but you've been messing up on the Lordship part, today's your day to say yes to his Lordship. If you know that he's asking you to do something, if there's a call on your life, whether that means a call to be a mother to your children, a husband to your family, or to go back to your workplace and to exalt the name of Jesus, and you know you need to do that with greater intensity and being more filled with, your, with the Holy Spirit, you need to say yes. So I invite you, come to this altar now. And talk to Jesus and give him your yes. Just like Mary left where she was and went to Elizabeth, you need to leave where you are and come to this altar. There isn't anything special about this altar, but there is something special about your obedience and willingness to get up from where you are and to move forward. Thank you, Jesus. We say yes to you, Lord. We say yes to you, Lord.